0: and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people.
2: Welcome to Barstool Politics, everyone. <laughs> my name is Bill Muck, uh, and I'm here with my uh, good friend and colleague, Phil Barker. How you doing, Happy Phil? Happy New Year, Bill. And Nick McGuire is here, but Nick is, is very, very sick, so Hello. he's just, he's gonna... <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be quiet this yeah. episode, <laughs> just, I think. Un- unless we, unless we get you real upset,
1: then you'll start contributing. It's so. entirely possible, Yeah, will clear out my sinuses. So, well, Happy New Year, guys! <laughs> Yeah, Happy New Year. Yes, <laughs> to all of our enemies, too. <laughs> right, as in the Trump.
0: Haters.
2: <laughs> So, you know, we were trying to, as always, put together a normal outline of what we're going to talk about, and then Trump screwed it up once again. <laughs> you know, he I didn't would, screw it up. He made it even better. That's true. He trumped his own... Because I figured last night when we were talking about or thinking about what the topics were going to be, I didn't think there was any story that could supersede... Trump's button comment about having a bigger nuclear weapon button on his desk oh, God. and then today he did <laughs> so Phil, do you want to give us some background on the this man in Trump feud that broke out today and yeah, know.
0: so th- there's a new book coming out um, by oh i should I should have it it's called Fire and Fury by Fury by Michael Wolf, and it's coming out in about a week, and I guess it's a pretty extensive book. um it's I guess people have been anticipating it for a while. He's interviewed like 200 people around the Trump administration. And, and the thing that came out today in the guardian were some quotes that were attributed to Steve Bannon. Um, and I guess this is what the story got started. So I guess, should I just read some of these they're <laughs> yes. a little bit long, kind of crazy. So you have to picture Steve Bannon who, you know, is, is not, he's, he's not a guy to, to mince words or to stay polite about things. So um, here, let me just read a couple of the quotes. Uh, the, so this is the quote about the, the meeting that uh, Don Jr. had with the Russian Uh, The the Russian lawyer, um, Steve Bannon, says the three senior guys in that in the campaign thought it was a good idea to meet with a foreign government inside Trump Tower in the conference room on the 25th floor with no lawyers. They didn't have any lawyers, even if you thought that this was not treasonous or unpatriotic or bad shit. And I happen to think it's all of that. You should have called the FBI immediately. <laughs> so he, he, he's essentially – he's not essentially. He is saying that what happened with the the Russians, contact with the Russians was um, treason. Yeah. Right? He's, he's calling Trump and the people around him uh, tr- uh, traitors. It, you can no longer say it's a nothing burger
2: when you're <laughs> – right. Your chief strategist, like one of the guys, the brains of the campaign is suddenly saying that this is treasonous. And absolutely, this is this undermines everything that the Trump administration has been arguing about the Russian investigation, about Don Jr., about all those meetings. He's saying this was a critical mistake.
0: So can I um, get a couple more of these? Uh, He goes on to say the chance that Don Jr. did not walk those these, sorry, these Jumos up to his father's office on the 26th floor is zero. So he's basically, the, the article that I'm reading has in a parenthetical note. It is unclear what a Jumo is. <laughs> oh, no. But anyway, so he's not only saying that, that, that what happened was, was treason. He's saying there's no doubt that Don Jr. took the Russian lawyer and the other people up one flight of stairs to meet with Don, Donald and, Trump. And to be clear, Bannon was
2: at that meeting, right?
0: I, was he? I'm trying I thought to it remember. was it was Kushner, Don Jr.,
2: and um, oh, Manafort, Manafort. You're right. Bannon wasn't there. So, OK, so <laughs> but Bannon had all the inside knowledge. So if right. he says this, you got to think it's true. It's hard right. to keep all those traitors straight. <laughs> exactly.
0: yeah. he, he goes on to talk about how it's going to be. I mean, he talks about how it's money laundering. He says, you realize this is where it's going. It's all about money laundering. Mueller chose Weissman first, and he's a money laundering guy. Their path to fucking Trump goes right through Paul Manafort, Don Jr., and Jared Kushner. It's as plain as a hair on your face. Oh, this, is,
2: <laughs> this is bigger than the potential of going to nuclear war, right? I mean, that's, this is, this is a, a groundbreaking story for the Trump administration trying to move forward. And the good news is that Trump responded in a rational and right. and uh, thoughtful way, didn't overreact. Right. <laughs> no, he didn't. So, <laughs> do you want me to read that?
0: So yes. I have one more quote. I don't, I don't want to bore our listeners too much, but this was your favorite quote, quote Bill, is that uh, Bannon said, they're going to crack Don Jr. like an egg on national TV. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <geez>. <laughs> there's not a whole lot of love. There's no love lost here, right? They're not. It, it's interesting to see how quickly they've sort of turned on each other. Bannon, we, yes. we sort of thought it would get ugly when Bannon left, but it seems like it's getting... I don't know. It was quiet for a while, but this seems to to bode poorly. For oh, that. this
2: is this. It becomes a civil war. And, and the thought was that or what they were saying is that Bannon and Trump were having conversations that they were still in contact. So obviously so at some point it soured uh, and this is only going to get worse. Uh, why, don't, why don't you should, read we, should some... we talk
0: about uh, Bannon's comments first or should we go ahead and jump into Trump's response?
2: Oh, well, why don't, why don't you start us on his comments and then we can transition. Okay.
0: So, I mean, what do you what do you make? There's nothing terribly shocking about this to me, right? The idea that that he's he's alleging that they they knew that this was bad, that this was essentially I mean, they were in contact with the Russians. We knew this, right? This story came out from The New York Times a couple of months ago um, that Donald Trump he's he's saying the chances that Donald Trump didn't know about this are zero. I mean, that we talked about that as well. Right. Yeah. It seems likely that that's the case. Um, that they're going after money laundering, so none of this seems particularly shocking or surprising. It, the shocking thing is that it's coming from an insider, right? right? And can you trust that insider, right? So because of the bad blood between Bannon and other people like Kushner and Trump, can you trust what he's saying? He's he's a man with ulterior motives, absolutely. Right? But
2: so <laughs> does Trump. And I guess the question is who do you tr- who do you trust when they're both liars looking out for themselves? <laughs> right. And the other thing is, I, I'm trying to think about. What motivated Bannon to do this? Because Bannon was still, even though he was outside the office, he was still making the argument for Trump all throughout the Roy Moore campaign. It was Steve Bannon and Trump, basically, even though they weren't campaigning together for Moore, they were on the same side. Ideologically, they still seem on the same side. I don't get what's causing Bannon to shift in this direction, but it is it is monumental in terms yeah. of, they said, we'll get to Trump's comments in a minute, but that when he read this today, that that upset him more than anything else so far in his presidency. And he's been upset about a lot of other things. So this is, it's very Shakespearean in terms yeah. of the backstabbing and what's playing out. Trump is really big on loyalty, yes.
0: right? Like in this, not that he, not big in the sense of he's always loyal, but he, he, you know, harps on this idea of loyalty and expecting people to be loyal to him. And I could see him definitely seeing this as a major a massive betrayal right what thing i don't i don't know if you saw i didn't see anywhere i mean this book comes out next week so these are not quotes that were just given in an interview today Sure. i don't know how far back like was was bannon already out when he gave this interview or was this while he was still that's a great Surely he wouldn't have made these comments while he was still in the white house would he
2: it's entirely possible. When you think about the time of production to get a book out and get all that, I mean, even if you're moving quickly, this had to be either immediately after he left the White House or possibly while he was still in the White House. Either way, he was still in contact with Trump and it was assumed he was still having a good relationship. And maybe that's part of why Trump is so upset about all this.
0: Um, yeah, I don't know. So I'm trying to remember Bannon and Kushner had Bannon, Bannon really hated Kushner, right? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, this could very well a be about More, more <laughs> about taking down Kushner and Don Jr. than about taking down the president. Although he he points, he says that this was treasonous, <laughs> and the president knew about it. That right. so was pretty right.
2: direct. There's no way you. There's no way to stop short of the president now, right? You, Bannon has to know that when he makes he levels this attack, and it's a calculated attack because it's a book. And Bannon knows this will be the lead story in the book, that he's attacking the president, suggesting that all of this stuff, potentially collusion, and everybody knew it was true, that Trump knew. I mean, this idea that, you know, they took him directly up to Trump. Oh, it's yeah, it's 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 a huge, huge story.
0: So, (laughs) you know, this is stuff that that is not shocking to me. And, you know, I I'm kind of I don't know. I like I'm sort of eager to see the details of all of this come out. Um, in this sort of salacious sort of way. But I also I hate Steve Bannon, right? So how how do you like? I mean, this is like you were saying, these two people that if you had to put your life in the hands of either Donald Trump or Steve Bannon, like who is more (laughs) trustworthy? Who do you trust more of that group? I I think Bannon of, of the two,
2: Bannon is clearly the smarter, more strategic. I mean, Bannon is an intelligent guy. He knows what he's doing. And so there's an intent to all of this. Uh, I think Trump is overmatched because of this this loyalty issue. Like he assumed this was the one guy that would defend him, and now he's turning on him. the The Trump paranoia paranoia
1: what paranoia. paranoia
2: yeah <laughs> that's been playing out lately is only going to get worse and worse when he feels like the one guy on the inside is now turning. But you're, yeah. this is a good question, Phil, because you think about. A guy like Bannon, who you don't want to like, but in this circumstance, seems somewhat likable. Same yeah. thing with Michael Flynn. You know, he's, I don't like him, but when he plays this role, you're like, well, he's finally come around to the, to the good side. But no,
0: he's no. <laughs> he saved his ass yeah, by taking this... a plea deal and ratting out his right. supervisor. Oh. Uh, but uh, Bannon, I'm trying to I was trying to think back. Bannon I, is is uh, he's a pretty terrible guy. Yeah. But I don't know. Is he is he dishonest? He seems pretty honest about how awful he is, right? I mean, he's pretty out forth, forthcoming about his ties to Breitbart and right wing and alt right and all of that, right? Because he doesn't see that as a negative, right? Right?
2: Right? Yeah.
1: He's he's on the right of of this yeah. whole situation,
2: and um, he's probably not a crook. I mean, when you think about the difference between Trump and Manafort, who clearly were engaging. I'm guessing. Well, Manafort, absolutely. Trump, likely. In shady financial dealings for years and years and years. I don't know if I I don't know if Bannon is doing that. Uh, He seems driven by more of an ideological vision. I mean, all of his movies, everything that he's doing is about pushing this agenda, not necessarily making money. And there are a lot in the Trump administration who I think are using the presidency just to make money and to enhance themselves. So there's that divide there.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think Trump is is very self-motivated, whereas Bannon seems less self-motivated and more kind of the sounds you know, patriotic say he's patriotic is is <laughs> right. not it's not it's this his sense of patriot like he feels like he's doing the thing that's best for his yes. country even if that's a terrible <laughs> terrible well, thing right. that he's doing <laughs> although i wonder what his <laughs> perception is off but he's doing it for what he sees as good motivation i think
2: that's a good and do you think he's motivated by doing what's right here or do you think he's so angry and pissed off at kushner and don jr and Manafort and all these guys—that this is one way to get back at them—to say like Don Jr., you're going to jail. Um, I don't. I, Do I, you really I, assume
1: he's doing the right thing? <laughs> or that's, that's that even crossed we, his we've mind? We've lost
2: what right is anymore, <laughs> right? It's the—it's pursuing his his own interests and maybe what he thinks the country interests are to, would be right.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think those two are not necessarily. Uh, again, I think he could be doing it because it is. It provides him with, like, revenge, getting back at people. And also because he thinks that taking revenge on these people is what's best for the country mm-hmm. at the same time.
2: Yes, he's also authentic in that way. Why don't you read some of Trump's response? Because this okay. is just brilliant.
0: This is classic Trump. Okay, so this is Trump's... I don't know if I'll read the full statement. You, uh, I'll read a little here. Uh, it begins, Steve Bannon has nothing to do with me or my presidency. When he was fired, he not only lost his job, he lost his mind. (laughs) That's great coming from Trump. (laughs) And this is the classic Trump thing where the first thing he does is say, I don't know that person. They played a minor role. He goes on to say, Steve was a staffer who worked for me (laughs) after I had already won the nomination by defeating 17 candidates, often described as the most talented field ever assembled in the Republican Party. (laughs) <laughs> Always comes back to Trump. Yeah. Don't see the relationship. Like, this is a guy who is his campaign manager yes. and chief strategist, and he's describing him as a staffer who has nothing to do with him. You
2: can do that with George Papadopoulos, who we'll talk about later. You can say he's a coffee boy. You can't say Steve Bannon or Michael Flynn or coffee boys, right? These are the core of who you are.
0: Yeah. He, he goes on to say, now that he's on his own, Steve is learning that winning isn't as easy as I make it look. Oh, that
1: was my favorite.
0: It <laughs> really is. You know that when they were putting this together, he's like, add this, add this. <laughs> <laughs> he call, went on to call him a leaker and say that that was the only thing he does well while he only thing he did well while he was there. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. How, I, how does that I mean, does that what does that work? I mean, he does this kind of consistently. Is this just a gut reaction to say "Ah, that he's he's a nobody? Um, Or do you think this actually like is this I haven't looked at Fox News today. Do they pick up and run with this storyline that Steve Bannon was a nobody and doesn't know what he's talking about?
2: That's a great question, because where does the Trump Bannon base go? Do they I'm guessing they stick with Trump, but they probably don't they don't get rid of Bannon. Maybe they see this as like two brothers fighting and it just it's a non-story um, I don't, I, go ahead. I think
0: the Trump base sticks with Trump. Yeah. I think Even so though too. Bannon, I think brought him that base, right? So yeah. Bannon was the, 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 the mind behind all of this, this kind of, you know, sort of alt-right approach to, or this, I don't know, whatever, forgotten men and women or whatever the approach is, um, you know, economic nationalism, um, immigration, all of that stuff. That was very much Bannon, but I don't, you know, the average voter who's out there associates it not with Bannon, but with Trump, right? Yeah. And, and so I think when Trump points the finger at Bannon, I, they're going to stick with Trump. I, I think they will. But do you think they
2: disregard Bannon? I think, I think they both continue to be voices for that perspective. It's not as if Bannon is disregarding the forgotten uh, men that Trump is highlighting. It's just they're both doing this separately now. But then the, for me, the question is how much damage can Bannon do to Trump that doesn't necessarily matter to Trump's base. I don't think the base will respond one way or the other to this. I think Fox News probably covers it, and moves on. But this, if you're Robert Mueller, this has to be some significant information where you're saying like, oh yeah, it
1: was, it was all corrupt. They're all a bunch of leakers and sneakers. The thing is, though, if, if it is significant information, considering how in-depth that his research and investigation has been, don't you think he would have had this information already?
2: He probably
1: I would assume. Right. I mean, if it's, it's been in the hands of publishers for months right. at this point, right? That's true. So I personally don't think this is going to go anywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I that's a good you're question. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so
0: I, I think one of the interesting... I was just thinking about this as we were talking about sort of... You were saying it doesn't go anywhere, Nick. I, I think it might go... I think the elements talked about might go somewhere, but not because of this interview. Right. right. So Mueller, like you're saying, has this stuff already. One of the interesting dynamics that might play out is is that what we have seen over the last few months is that Fox News has fallen very much in line with Trump, right? Whatever Trump says or whatever the Trump administration says, they push it. Um, so they, it seems like it would seem likely that they're going to take Trump's side in this feud, but Bannon has gone back to Breitbart, sure. right? And Breitbart's the other sort of major right-wing news source. And and so I, I wonder if you start to see some sort of schism in the right-wing news media and what how that would play out in any way, because, uh, you know, that, that sort of Trump base was, was a Breitbart base, sure. right? I mean, when I think of like the people who I know who are very sort of kind of that sort of classic conservative in my family, they are Fox News people, but they're also Breitbart people, right? And thus seem to be maybe lining up against each other, possibly. That
2: could create an interesting battle where you have Fox and Breitbart going against each other, Bannon versus Trump. you really right, I think Fox will stick with Trump at this point. I don't think they have another option. I hadn't thought about that. The thing I think about the way this will have a significant impact is on Trump's mental state. The guy is clearly stressed. And it's, it's getting worse. and We'll talk about his bizarre tweets at the end of the podcast today. But there's no way this doesn't send him into a deeper, darker place. Uh, I'm guessing we're going it, to... It's possible that he knew about this book coming out, and that might explain some of his behavior of late. But he is... He is lashing out, and then when this bomb drops, I think it's only going to get worse. Uh, it, it should scare us for North Korea. It should scare us in a whole host of ways. Heck, yeah. But I think where this hits most directly is Trump himself. Um, I don't know. I'm 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 worried about yeah. the guy.
0: <laughs> so we should move on. I think we should move on, right? we yeah, uh, indeed, to talk about North Korea. But in talking about Trump as a little bit crazy, before we move on, yeah. I, I was going to say something at the beginning of every time we start this. With this new intro, when you have the Howard Dean scream on there, yes, yes. about how it wasn't that long ago that a guy making a weird noise kept him from being president. Here we are. This. How did that happen in such a short period of time? Uh, yeah,
2: absolutely, I mean, it is. We have lost all perspective. I didn't think things could come tumbling down as quickly as they have in terms of norms. I mean, the, the institutions are still there, but the etiquette of presidents has forever been changed. Uh, Um, Yeah. Well, let's let's transition to North Korea. Uh, So President Trump once again raised the prospect of nuclear war with North Korea on Tuesday night, boasting that he commands a quote, much bigger and much more powerful arsenal than North Korea. (laughs) Mr. Trump's combative comments were in response to a statement made in recent days by Mr. Kim, in which he referenced a nuclear button on his own desk. So they're they're battling back and forth. Who has the bigger button? Who has the bigger button, Phil? Now, all of, while all of this is playing out, South Korea and North Korea have been having somewhat productive, I don't know if we'd call them conversations, but recently when uh, Kim Jong-un made the comment about the nuclear button on his own desk, he was talking about the possibility of re-engaging with South Korea, showing up to the Olympics. So specifically over the Olympics. Yeah, so this is, in some ways, this is about this is an olive branch, I guess a North Korean olive branch, and Trump responds... It's it's wilted, but it's still an olive branch, and Trump responds by saying, um, here's his actual tweet, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un stated that the nuclear button is on his desk at all times. Will someone from his depleted and food-starved regime please inform him that I, too, have a nuclear button, but it's much bigger and more powerful one than his, and my button works? (laughs) That... I mean, to your point earlier, Phil, the
0: president of the United States tweeted yes. that out. Yeah. God. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so I, I, before we get into the actual, yeah. like, how this worried should we be about fun. this question, <laughs> I, is, there's not, an, I'm under the impression there's not an actual button on the no, president. No, no, no button. No button at all. It's just a
1: big red cartoon yes. button right in the middle. It's the easy button, <laughs> right? You know, like... <laughs>
0: I wonder I I bet someone has done that. Someone went and got one of those easy buttons and wrote like nuclear on it and put it on Trump's desk. Don't so touch that he it. Could just feel like it. Yes. Oh, this uh, So I'm guessing you're. this stresses you out. Why don't you why don't you tell us why we should be worried and I'll I'll try to tell us why we shouldn't be worried. Well,
2: so okay. So my initial reaction to Kim Jong Un's response was I thought this was very productive because he was he was certainly, his threat of having a nuclear button on his desk was concerning, but what he was using it in a conventional deterrence way. He was saying, I now have this, I have a nuclear button. Basically, it's a, it levels the playing field. And given that, I think it's useful that we have some conversations with North Korea, and essentially, I'm sorry, South Korea. Essentially, what he's trying to do is peel away South Korea From the United States, so to create a divide between the United States and South Mm -hmm. Korea—that's a strategic, it's a rational. I understand everything about that. It indicates that maybe he's willing to have future conversations with the United States if negotiations are on the table. All of that to me felt like normal diplomacy. And then, and I guess my hope for the president would be that he would come back. The president of the United States would say, "Uh, "I'm troubled by his nuclear button talk." But we're excited to see the possibility of conversations between the two Koreas. We would like to see diplomacy. I mean, to respond in that way, not in, I have a bigger button and mine works, right? It just, it all collapses. So I, I don't think we're necessarily closer to nuclear war. But I'm completely convinced that Trump is incapable of appreciating nuances in diplomacy and so there's just no hope that any of the kind of big signaling coming from him is going to be useful.
1: Well, the other subtext of this is that if they are attempting to reestablish trade or diplomatic relations or anything between the two Koreas, the subtext is that there's a another substantial shift towards China as the major regional player that yes. people are looking towards, and they are no longer looking towards us. No, absolutely. Which is... Seems to be happening a lot more often now, right? I think the
2: United States is in full retreat from Asia. The yeah. Asian pivot is over. The uh, Trump administration doesn't want to have a permanent presence there. Yeah, and yeah. I think this is That's another example. That's Really frightening. Right. Well, and if you're North Korea, you look at this and say, we can we can peel away China potentially, we can peel away South Korea, or at least improve relationships and make life so much more difficult for the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel I don't know. Are you? Where, where are you at in all this uh
0: so i, I it depends the you know week to week I change my mind about how worried I am about nuclear war with North Korea <laughs> and this week I'm not all that worried um, and I you know I'll probably change my mind next week but I, I um I don't think this sort of exchange brings us any closer to actual conflict uh, i i I tend to see the North Korean regime as fairly rational. Like you were saying, Bill. And, and so in that case, I think what they see when Trump tweets out this kind of crazy response to this is not uh, a president who's intent on nuclear war. I think they can sort of dismiss him as being Trump. What they see is a success. Right. If they're trying to peel away South Korea, if they're trying to peel away other, you know, China, if they're trying to sort of get the U.S. out of Asian politics. right? Um, they, this is helpful to them, right? South Korea, if you're the leader of South Korea and this is the like the idea of sort of following the U.S.'s lead is is going away quickly, right? So they're going to set their own course. They're not going to be all that worried about what US, the U.S. says. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I see this as, a, again, kind of this rational play that seems to be working. And I, I don't see it, I, I don't know. Today, I tend to, the idea of, of nuclear war happening depends on either... North Korean leadership or the U.S. leadership being irrational enough to misinterpret some of these um, things that are being said. And and this week, I don't I don't think that North Korea is that irrational. I
2: think I think you're right to the effect that the world has now realized they need to ignore the president of the United States.
1: That's frightening.
2: I know it is. When he tweets something out the first reaction is, uh, ignore that. And whether it was his attack on Pakistan this week, his threat to remove aid to the Palestinians, he just does these things. And the, the initial response <laughs> is to say, well, let's not overreact to this because that isn't going to be U.S. foreign policy. But that is terrifying in one sense, or to, to a great degree. And the other thing I think about is, do you think that the adults in the room have had conversations about what if Trump comes to you and says, I want to launch a nuclear weapon? I mean, you know, we've talked before about that there are very few constraints on the president if he wants to launch a nuclear weapon. And there's even been some conversation among former foreign policy officials saying, well, there isn't a there isn't a legitimate constraint, but there are illegitimate things you can do to stop the president from doing this. Do you think the adults in the room, the Mattises, the McMasters, the Tillersons, are they having these conversations now? I, I don't you, know. They have to. <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 But they get how irrational he is. I think so. I think so I mean i I think that but the you know we go back to I don't remember if it was it wasn't last week it was the week before that when we were talking about um, reports from the foreign policy community who seem to think that we're working our way towards like we the are you the u s um, foreign policy elite seem to view North Korea war with North Korea as increasingly inevitable right this sort yeah. of march toward it like we were marching towards the Iraq war um in two thousand and three so Uh, If that's the case, then, you know, if the people surrounding the president see war as inevitable, then I I, I mean, I guess war with North Korea and nuclear war with North Korea are two different things. Right. right? And so hopefully I mean, they they get paid. Right. Their whole career is is to sort of think out the the likelihood of these scenarios that might occur. They must in some way have talked about what happens if a nuclear attack is ordered.
2: Sure, how to respond to that. The other thing I I think about all this is it's just a missed opportunity. So North Korea Korea is signaling here that they're open to some kind of dialogue and conversation, and our president isn't able to appreciate that and respond in a way to lead to further conversations, and maybe not even negotiations, but just to to de-escalate some of those tensions. I mean, that's clearly what's going on here is that the rhetoric has gotten out of hand and you have to find a way to calm the waters and i just i just i've lost all hope that the president can do this so
0: well uh, and the other thing that's worrying to me is that in the past we've been saved from increasing north korean tensions by other news stories right? Yes, that yes. either the health care bill or the tax bill or you know some other thing that has happened white nationalism or whatever and and yeah. Uh, it's possible that some surprise thing will happen. But there's no big Republican bill. There's no election, you know, no special election forthcoming. And so I don't see anything to distract Trump from this. In, <laughs> in fact, I could see him using, well, I don't know. We talked about whether he's smart enough to use the or strategic enough to use this as a distraction from Mueller. But, uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: Do you think there's a scenario, a potential scenario, where there is some sort of narrative... For us going to war with North Korea, that the majority of the American population would actually believe or agree with? Yes. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do. I think all has to happen is
2: some minor incident, whether. Gulf of Tonkin. Right. Yep. So, a situation where, I mean, you know, we, uh, the United States and South Korea, continue to carry out military exercises right on the border of North Korea. And all it takes is one overreaction by North Korea to elicit a response by the United States at which point North Korea could easily launch an attack on South Korea and then the United States says well the only way to respond is is the full force of the US military potential even a nuclear i think that's 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 easy to see um, there, and that's what scares me
0: there were already I, I wish i had i i don't have the numbers in front of me but there have been i mean the number of Americans who support war with North Korea already yeah is startlingly high. Yeah, right. Did you see there was a the thing a year, about a year ago, I guess, there was a, some survey that they did where they asked people about whether they supported war with North Korea, and they also asked people to find North Korea right. on a map. you remember this? Yes. And they were inversely related. Right. The more likely you were to, to support war with North Korea, the less likely you were to find <laughs> it on a map. Really, that's really troubling.
2: <laughs> Public opinion is awful. On a somewhat lighter note, so when Kim Jong-un gave his, <clears throat> uh, his speech about the button on his desk, did you guys see his outfit? No, I didn't schnazzy. see any. Of he movies. did. He looked super snazzy. He yeah. had this gray suit with a gray tie. And he didn't look like Doctor No. For <laughs> no, once. right? You know, the North Korean leaders oftentimes go with that kind of sort of communist drab. This was not drab. This was a, a impressive Western suit. His haircut was really extra coiffed and up higher above <laughs> the ears. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to read in that, but you looked at him and you said, hey, that's a that's a sharper Kim Jong-un than we normally see. Especially <laughs> compared to his father, who he wore that brown, I don't even know, with that brown outfit that he wore all the it was time. Like a
0: jump, like it was like a, yeah, yeah like yeah, overalls or whatever. I think yeah. they, there were
2: sweatpants yeah. involved in some like level. Like what my grandfather
0: used to wear when he would go <laughs> right. hunting in like the 70s, yeah. And his haircut
2: was sort of out of control, and uh, Kim Jong-un, I think he's, you know. He's a stylish he's a, dictator. He's A-OK because yeah. he dresses
0: OK now.
2: <laughs> he may be more rational than our president, which drives me absolutely bonkers. They got so. a shipment of Levi's from China. <laughs> well, we? should we uh, should I talk about beer? <laughs> you should talk about sure. your beer. So Nick is I, sick.
0: About, I, I, <laughs> I'm
1: drinking some
2: delicious water like the out
0: of a plastic Tonight I'm on muscle relaxers. <laughs> right. That's Phil my is, beer.
1: Phil
2: has back pain. Nick is sick. Um, yeah, so I'm the only one having beer. So I had a River West Stein Amber Lager from Lakefront Brewery, another Lakefront uh, product. This is their, I think maybe one of their more original first beers that came out before the craft beer phase truly hit. This was... This is one of the early ones, and it's always just, it's a great beer. Amber Lager, really enjoy this one. So there ends our beer review for the day. Very good. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we can move to speed round. <laughs> so, uh, so our, the topic, we were talking about Iran and speed round, but Iran was going to be a major topic until the ban and Trump stuff uh, broke. But over the last week, Iranian protesters have taken to the streets in several cities, Uh, To express pent up economic and political frustrations, Uh, it's the most significant display of discontent since the protests in 2009 following their presidential election. Uh, The uh, government has responded uh, with conciliatory words from the president Rouhani, but a much more intense security uh, clampdown uh, of late. Uh, And the president of the United States has been fully encouraging of the protesters through multiple tweets. Uh, this is this is a significant development for Iran. It's it's unclear how this is all going to play out, whether the protests will continue or whether we fizzle out. But I think there's two really interesting angles: one, the protests, and the other, this question of whether the president of the United States should be so forcefully supporting those protests. So, uh, Phil, where are you at in all this?
0: Um, I so I. I- I, I mean, I have predictions about where it's all going to go. Ooh, um, I don't know that they're at all accurate, but they're my <laughs> predictions. So the the, the president of, of Iran, I mean, this is my understanding, at least. Part of how he won the elect, how he uh, got elected was by, uh, in some ways, promising some level of reform. Um, and so he is now stuck in a really bad position between the people below him who want really dramatic reform and the people above him who have real power who want none of it and want a crackdown on, on power, uh, on this sort of reform. They, you know, the, the, the elites want essentially a theocratic state. Yeah. And so I, I see this ending badly. Mm-hmm. Um, I see this as ultimately there's going to be a crackdown on these protesters. Um, they're going to squash this uprising. Um. So I think in the short term, it's going to end badly in the long term. I think it's going to end badly for the regime. Right. What you see as you as you start to see more and more of these protests, you, you just oppression only is going to last so long. Right. This is it's not representative of what the people of of Iran want. And so I, I think in the end, this regime is going to fall, but it's going to be ugly in the meantime. I mean, how many deaths have there already been?
1: Dozens, right? dozens, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is crazy.
2: Yeah. Well, the other interesting element about this is that in two thousand nine, so when Ahmadinejad won his election, basically stole that election. There was the Green Revolution, and it was a. Uh, it came from the major cities, Tel Aviv, I and mean, this was this was a urban elites were pushing this these protests. The protests that have been playing out the last couple of weeks are coming from more rural areas, smaller cities, and it's more of an economic. Frustration than it is a political frustration. But they will overlap, and it increasingly will be about politics. So I think you're right, Phil, that what's happening here is we're seeing a, I don't know if I would call it populist, but a broader frustration with the economic and political dynamics of the country. They're pushing back against the more conservative elites, but they're also pushing against all elites. So that is beginning this process of of toppling the regime. You know, they talk about toppling a regime as kind of like tipping over a soda machine. You know, like the Seinfeld uh, it takes reference. a few times. Yeah, it takes a few times. So yeah. you you go back and forth, back and forth. And I think you're right, Phil. This is ultimately the Iranian regime topples. But it, it could be, I mean, it could be a decade before that happens. But we're seeing now the spark that ultimately will bring down that regime.
0: Yeah, um, I, I see, uh, you know, you, you compare Iran and Saudi Arabia as both of these sort of very conservative, uh, you know, Middle Eastern re- regimes. But the... The, uh, my impression, my understanding at least, is that the Iranian people are far more, you know, progressive calling for change yes. than the Saudi people yes. are, right? And so this, it, that's what's weird about this is that the, the regime itself, the Iranian regime, is much more, I think, opposed to the U.S. Yeah. Um, but the, I don't think that's necessarily representative of the people of Iran, right? No, and I so, think that's spot um, on.
2: So how do you respond to the fact that Trump has been so forceful in supporting this protest? Because in 2009, Obama took a lot of criticism for not calling for greater protest and not supporting the protest movements, and Trump is doing the exact opposite. Is that is that the right thing to do?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, in some ways, yeah. I mean, I think in some ways, if you... If I think the U S can be criticized for trying to be too guarded and careful about their, like either you're for democracy and you're opposed to oppressive regimes or you're not. Right. And so, um, I I think the U S could be more supportive of movements like this. I think in the past, they've been hesitant to do that for foreign policy kind of international relations purposes. Um, and there is a danger in coming out this quickly to support a movement that you know, nothing about. (laughs) Right. Right. So I think, a vague statement about supporting, you know, the, the the people and the movement for democracy is one thing, but to like jump behind this movement, um, in in an area that could totally destabilize the the you know the Middle East if this happens, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's I, maybe a little more caution should have been. I, well, yeah, I mean,
1: you got to think about the the history of. Uh, the Obama administration supporting the uprisings in Libya and Syria and how that turned out, too. So, <clears throat> yeah, there's definitely issues to, to consider. But I think this also kind of weaves into the narrative of his recent attacks on, on Pakistan as well. And yes. whether you're talking about Pakistan or Iran, and they're pretty obvious um, uh, What's support of international terrorist groups. So I, I think that it's a fairly one-dimensional um uh level of support that he's giving to them but it's easily understandable when you know there's not much subtext to it
2: yeah i think it's probably the right thing to do the united states should in general support human rights and democracy and trump did tweet that out he said uh the iranians are hungry for food and freedom food and freedom uh along with human rights the wealth of iran is being looted time for change So the other thing I think about, though, is if you're an Iranian protester, do you want Trump's support? or might that be like the worst thing possible where the regime can come in and say see this is outsider this is western imperialism trying to topple the regime so i think a a more careful support might be useful but i think it's it's the right thing you know if you want to support yeah. democracy you do so and you can do so in delicate ways so oh.
0: but it's also yeah I, there is some argument for minding our own business at the same time right if, if after the after the elections um when you had massive protests across the right. country if you know, like, if Iran, if the leadership of Iran had tweeted out support for those protests, we would have been like, "Come right. on, mind your own damn business." Right. right?
2: <laughs> oh, all right. Next topic, uh, Papadopoulos. So it turns out that a drunk Papadopoulos can't keep a good secret. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, some backstory here. That's what my grandfather always said. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> During a night of heavy drinking at an upscale London bar in May of 2016, George Papadopoulos, a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign, made a startling revelation to Australia's top diplomat uh, in Britain. Russia had political dirt on Hillary Clinton. Uh, and the I think the most important thing about this revelation is that it was this bit of intel. So Papadopoulos reveals this in a drunken stupor to Australia's top diplomat in Brit- Britain that Russia has this information on Hillary Clinton and it that is what sparked the FBI to look into this investigation. So the the Trump administration has been suggesting that it's the dossier, but the reality is that it was Papadopoulos that started all of this.
0: Did the Australian diplomat report it? Like did Australia report it to the US? Is that what led to the yes. investigation? So okay.
2: and it took 2 months. So there was this conversation and I guess Australia sat on it for a couple months and then 2 months later or whenever whenever it was ultimately revealed that uh, Russia had indeed hacked this information and was using it in the U.S. election, then Australia uh, contacted the United States, CIA, FBI, I'm not sure who they went through. You know, we have this tight uh, uh, intelligence-sharing dynamic with Australia and the U.K. and whatnot, and said, hey, we have this, at which point the FBI responded looking into this, looking into Papadopoulos, looking into Flynn and others, Um, So that's what started all of this moving, not the dossier, not the PP dossier by uh, Christopher Steele.
0: (laughs) It also explains why Papadopoulos was the first one to be charged with anything out of this whole thing.
2: Yes. Uh, And the idea so a number of people have commented if if George Papadopoulos is sharing this information with an Australian diplomat drunk in London, he is certainly sharing this information extensively with those in the Trump administration. So it becomes increasingly difficult to say they didn't know and that they didn't, I guess it's hard to say they didn't act on it, but I think it would be unlikely that they didn't at least pursue it in some way, shape or form. Um, I,
0: I think we've been, we have been, uh, I don't know, we've, 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 we've come to expect a certain type of behavior from politicians and, and it comes from our watching movies and TV shows in which there's all this kind of political, um, not espionage, but political, I don't, you know, anyway, there, there's all this sort of behind the scenes stuff and lots of, you know, politicians are smart enough to cover their ass and they give an order, but they make sure they give it indirectly. And, you know, I'm reading the Godfather right now and the idea (laughs) you know, you never give the Godfather never gives an order with, he gives an order when, when there's one person in the room, so (laughs) no one can ever bring it back to him. I think we make assumptions about presidents that, that they act this way. Right. But there is an increasingly, monstrous pile of evidence that that is not the way this this right. presidency acts and if we go back to the bannon stuff at the beginning right so I, I didn't read that quote it was another quote that i read earlier today that was talking about how they you know that these idiots met in trump tower with a russian lawyer right. that it's... bannon said something about you meet at the a holiday Inn, right in express <laughs> yes. or something like that right <laughs> um, and and no you know no <clears throat> officials are actually in the room oh, yeah. that lawyers meet, because you want plausible deniability <laughs> that just doesn't exist right, right. there they're new to this game they're not they're not strategic thinkers the idea that trump didn't know about this is it's just not believable right. anymore right? Yeah, he, right he he was it's just they weren't keeping secrets. There were a bunch of <laughs> right. it would be like if the three of us got approached by a Russian logger, we'd be like, oh, we yeah. would have no idea what to do. Right. <laughs> right. Because right. we're idiots. It's <laughs> the same thing.
2: I, I, you know, a lot of people are making parallels to the Iran-Contra affair to say that the Russian uh, Trump Russia is kind of, is very similar to that. But I think the for me, what strikes me as so different is that in that Bush administration, they knew what they were doing. And they were trying to cover for each other, and it was it was careful, it was managed. Ultimately, the story broke, but you had professionals that were engaging in that activity and then trying to cover it up. And Trump guys don't know how to do any of that, right? I mean, so Papadopoulos, it was,
0: it was Reagan, not Bush. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> sorry. But it could never be taken back. T- taken back, like certainly Reagan yeah. knew what was going on, right? That's but right. made sure that nobody could link it to him, right?
2: Yeah. Um, so all of that, and and then the other thing is that. Papadopoulos clearly is not a low-level coffee boy at this point because he is having these conversations. He's connecting with others. Uh, the email suggests that he was trying to share this information widely. Uh, he ultimately sets up, uh, he brokers the, the meeting with the Egyptian president. So he's doing a lot of things. So Trump's attempt to bananize Papadopoulos, saying that he's not an important guy, really, uh, seems empty here. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, this this just leads me to... to- further believe that lots of people are going to jail right that, that yeah I, this, it also explains to me to some extent why the I, we've talked about how it might seem to people like the Mueller investigation is going slowly but in fact it's going at like light speed yes. um it explains why this might be happening that that these aren't these aren't like complicated codes to crack right they're just right. talking these people are just openly talking <laughs> right. to other people about it <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
2: Um, And I think to something Nick said earlier, Robert Mueller probably has more information than we can possibly imagine what's going on. So we're just starting to piece this together and we're seeing more and more connections. If he sees it all, then the fact that he's lined up Papadopoulos, the fact that he's lined up Michael Flynn is really, really bad news for Don Jr., Kushner, Trump, whoever it is.
0: We, we, we could, could, I just, this popped into my head just now. We could have done a whole separate topic on this, but there's not that much information yet. Did you see today that Manafort has filed a suit yes, um, against Mueller, basically arguing that the stuff that he's being charged with, the money laundering stuff, is not within the purview of the, of the Mueller investigation, um, which will be, yes. yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I
2: still yeah. put my money on Mueller being right, but no. It For is, sure, it's,
0: absolutely. It's,
2: Manafort is going to fight this tooth and nail until the end. I mean, Flynn took the deal. Manafort is not going to take the deal, which means that Flynn uh, uh, Mueller is just going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing.
1: So, you just imagine uh, the, the thought that I have is: you imagine the investigation to have <clears throat> one of those <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me very complex boards with just strings, yes, yes. you know, uh, attaching everyone in, in different areas, and it's really just. Papadopoulos, Flynn, <laughs> Manafort, and then Trump—it's
0: Trump, just right. one string. <laughs> one string.
2: <laughs> that makes uh, me think of the "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia," where he's got all the lines. Let's talk everywhere. about the mail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, next topic. This one's an easy one to introduce. Uh, Orrin Hatch, the longest-serving senator in history, or in Utah, the guy's been around for forty, 40 some, years. Yeah, he was. I
1: think he first took office in nineteen seventy-six. He uh it was seventy-seven. He okay. it was literally just his fortieth anniversary when wow. he announced his retirement.
2: That's that's a long time.
1: Mm-hmm. So he's retiring and that is an interesting
2: element. But uh the bigger story I think is that ultimately Mitt Romney may run for that seat. He's back. He's back. And you know I... who he, he doesn't like? Donald
0: Trump. Uh-huh. <laughs> so... Uh, he he's almost certainly going to run right. yeah, yeah. my impression uh, the, there was this, this rumors of this were going around earlier this year that hatch might retire but that the thing that was keeping him from retiring was that he didn't think there was a suitable replacement <laughs> right and apparently romney uh, a number of people started working to get romney and he to talk so i i, I would be shocked if romney doesn't announce yeah. that he's running and i would be shocked if romney doesn't win he seems like a perfect candidate for Mm -hmm. utah
2: he's a perfect candidate and he will be safe enough where if he wants to attack donald trump which i think he probably does there's no way he has to worry about being primaried by somebody to the right of him i mean if mitt romney runs he could win indefinitely um so yeah he's in a position where he could be an absolute thorn in the side of the trump administration
0: And if you're going to be a Republican attacking Trump, uh, I think Utah is the best state in the country to do that. Right. Utah did not like Trump. they didn't vote for Trump by the margins that other states did. Uh, Romney will be a great senator. I mean, this is this is, uh, I think, a classic example of how your perspective can change on somebody. (laughs) And Romney, who was vilified by the left a few years ago, um, now seems, I think, to be incredibly moderate and rational and (laughs) rational. yeah, I mean, that's the the st- stupidity of politics. But
2: Well, and apparently Trump made a, a very concerted effort to keep Orrin Hatch running again, to run for another six years. He promised his family that he wasn't going to do that. I mean, he's old. It's time to retire. And Trump pushed him and said, no, no, you can do another one. I think largely because mm-hmm. Trump doesn't want to have to. There's no, no threat of a Democrat winning that seat. But he knows that if, if Romney wins that position, it's a very it's a different dynamic for him. Even though Romney would vote with the Republicans, I mean, I, I would assume almost all of the time. But in terms of the conduct issues, in terms of how he conducts the presidency, he could be that voice to be very, very
1: critical of Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. He could be a leader and a, yeah. a new Republican opposition going forward, especially going into the midterms.
2: And it's, it's a big difference because when you think of those leaders, leaders in terms of being critical of Trump, the flakes, the corkers—they're all. I mean, even John McCain, they're all on their way out. So Romney would be that voice coming in, uh, and we'll see how see how powerful it could be. But this this isn't good news for the Trump administration, even though it is a Republican. They haven't had a lot of that lately.
1: <laughs> no, there's a lot of
2: that going around. <laughs> uh, uh, should, we... <laughs> should we jump? That's enough. That's that enough on That's Romney. Enough on Romney. Mitt and Romney only gets two and a half minutes. <laughs> 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 Alright, our next topic uh is, is kind of a it's a thinker, and, and Phil, this is a good one for you because you're a thinker. So yeah,
0: but I'm on I'm on muscle relaxers tonight, right. so who knows how much <laughs> you think it's gonna happen. So
2: the Justice Department is proposing to ask people about their citizenship citizenship status on the twenty twenty census. So that's you know, obviously the census is coming up. And this is stirring a fair amount of backlash from census experts and others who say the move could wreck chances for an accurate count of the population and by extension, a fair redistribution or redistricting of the House and the state legislatures. The idea being that individuals who are worried about that kind of questioning might not answer the census, and then you get inaccurate numbers, which has an impact on the distribution of seats across the country. Um, So can, should the Justice Department be asking about citizenship on the next census? I mean, at some level, I can understand why this is not a big deal, and others, I can see why it is a, a major, major, major deal.
0: So I, I think it's a terrible idea, um, but not, I don't, I don't, from a different perspective, I think from a social science perspective, yeah, uh, the census does so much and it, it does a lot more than just redistricting. And I think the argument that this is problematic for redistricting is maybe the wrong argument to make because it. The, the counter to that is pretty easy, which is that if you're a non-citizen, you don't have the right to vote anyway. And so we should be representing citizens, not, you know, not non-citizens. Um, but the census does a lot more than that, right? This data is important for, you know, allocating money, for budgeting, for, you know, education, for all sorts of stuff. It's, it's important just to understand. I mean, census data comes into play in, you know, studying uh, the spread of disease, all sorts of other stuff. It's important to know this information. Um, And if you're going to ask something that dissuades people from answering, uh, I mean, I think that has has long-term implications that are probably bad. I think that having a bad census is worse than having... A census that, you know, I could see where people would say it would be good to have the citizenship information for, you know, understanding our population. But I think the gain from that is smaller than the, the sort of inaccuracy that comes yeah. from asking people problematic questions. Agreed.
2: Yeah. My fear in all of this is that what's happening here, both in terms of the census and in terms of electoral r- r- rules, who can vote, who can't vote, voting, you know, do you have to show up ID, all of this is being caught up in that partisan lens uh, making it much, much more difficult to have an honest assessment of things. Whether whether we're taking a census or whether we're trying to get a vote, we're manipulating these these dynamics in a way that feels troubling to have an honest account of what's really going on. It's, well, it's just unnecessary. Yeah.
1: There are a few times when we're talking about government regulations or data gathering or voter rights where I don't think that you shouldn't yeah. ask for... People's identification, or whether or yeah. not they're a citizen. This is one of those situations right. where you need as much data as is humanly possible. I think that's right. And, people, oh, go ahead,
0: Phil. People already d- distrust the Census Bureau, right? There right. are people who are already yes. reluctant to do that out of uh, you know, uh, whatever paranoia or, or conspiracy theories or whatever, um, or just you know, maybe maybe. <laughs> Maybe they're smart to avoid the census bureau, but um, yeah, we already have problems with it. So adding one more in terms of credibility is not good.
2: Especially, and if we're attacking, you know, when the when the word census expert is used, I just want to trust the census expert. He's not, you know, not a partisan. It's somebody who like devotes their life to the census. You know, it's not something I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. But if somebody does, give that technocrat some credit. Let them (laughs) let them offer their two cents of advice. And if they're saying this is troubling. I'm inclined to believe it. So I think this has potential to be deeply problematic if the Justice Department pursues this and other agendas that are driven by partisan motivations. Well, yeah, that's
1: the thing. Like, it's another example of just a a meaningless, a completely unnecessary stipulation that they continue to throw on top of things to yeah. appease the base, I would assume. I, I, I don't yeah. know what the, the impetus would be to do this they have to know that it's not a good strategy from a data standpoint not that they really care about data well, yeah, that's, right a, right
2: that's, that's a great question is it is it driven by a belief that there are a lot of undocumented individuals who are driving census numbers and undermining an i mean i'm guessing that's where they're coming from and they're saying we need this question to get an accurate sense of the data even though that may not be what ultimately happens mm-hmm.
0: so but why, why why would you expect why would you expect people to be honest about that, also at the same time right non-citizen check (laughs) right if you if you um it seems like the motivation for this comes from maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong but it seems like the motivation comes from uh, some sort of opposition to the number of non-citizens living in the country or you know you know illegal you know immigrants or whatever um but yeah, if you believe that, if you're that cynical about things, then why would you expect people right, to be right. honest about it anyway? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be just a political,
2: I think, move, move right? And, and yeah. the reality is that the Trump administration has created quite a bit of fear among minority minority groups about you know being deported and whatnot. And this huh. is maybe just another piece to that to say, uh, let's create that threat uh, and whatever comes from that. Yeah, that that's yeah. good for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It yeah. fits within building the wall and this broader dynamic. So. All right. Good final, time. final topic. All right. So this one's a bit of a hodgepodge. But uh, if, if you guys have been paying attention to Twitter this last week, Trump has been, even for Trump, really, really bizarre. And let me just go through a couple examples. We talked about the North Korean, uh, my nuclear button is bigger than your nuclear button. But he also announced, uh, this was on uh, January 2nd. Quote, I will be announcing the most dishonest and corrupt media awards of the year on Monday at 5 o'clock. He's very specific with time. Uh, <laughs> subjects will cover dishonesty and bad reporting in various categories from fake news media. Stay tuned. So.
0: That, what what does that mean? I what does just, that mean? Is he having a press conference? Like, is he actually serious? Like he's going to do that?
2: And the punctuation and the all caps—none of it makes any sense. He just he capitalizes media. All right, so there's that one. Uh, there's on, uh, also on the second. Quote, since taking office, I have been very strict on the commercial aviation. Good news. It was just reported that we were there were zero deaths in 2017. The best and safe, safest year on record. Success.
0: <laughs> right. I so, didn't realize that those out. other asshole presidents had been crashing planes all these <laughs> years. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so
2: that's strange. He went after uh, a former Hillary Clinton aide and said that she should go to jail. Uh, he talked about the deep state. Uh, he attacked Pakistan. And, uh, oh, his New Year's... do you guys see his New Year's tweet? Let me read it to you. As our country rapidly grows stronger and smarter, I want to wish all of my friends, supporters, enemies, haters, and even the very dishonest fake news media a happy and healthy new year. 2018 will be a great year for America. Enemies, haters, and even the very dishonest fake news media. Haters. (laughs) That's just... Uh, I, so, I, so all of these have come out in the last couple of days, and it just seems we've talked about him being unhinged, but it feels like something's going on. This is if if another head of state did this, we would look at that and say there's something seriously he's wrong. Unstable. Right? It's he's <laughs> unstable. There's, right. This is this is not normal behavior, and and we're just like eh. Trump's tweeting about no planes crashing. Right? <laughs> it's, just, it's like we've lost perspective on things we were in the prison analogy too deep to even know
0: so i i agree that these are insane um do you do you really think they're more insane than previous yeah. weeks yes yeah because you they're do? all together okay it was very
2: condensed each each individual tweet maybe isn't higher on the insanity scale but there were so many of them quickly it just that that's what's that's what's striking He's to talking me
1: putting on a primetime event about fake news <laughs> right, right.
2: That's weird. Uh, you know, and th- the plane stuff, the aviation. Apparently, I don't know. For the last six or seven years, there have been no crashes. So this is not something to sell. I mean, it's something Why to did, celebrate.
0: But where did where did that come from? Like, did he see something on TV or like what, that wasn't a news? Story. Yeah, it's been a
1: story for the past week or so. Has it? Okay. Yeah, it just you know it was the safest. Yeah. Year around, right? Or, yeah. But we had a same. bunch of them in a row, right? I mean, that's the thing,
0: have we? Well, but not this safe. He he was <laughs> so that's hard. That's true. On the commercial commercial airliners this year, right? It.
2: No, I, for me it feels like this—not a tipping point, but that there was just the pace of them over a short period of time. Now maybe he was so relaxed from his seven days of golfing that he just kind of got them all out at once. No, I, golfing,
0: there was no golfing There was no golfing. <laughs>
2: So I just thought that the, the the number of them and how close they were to each other made me think, like, I don't know what's going on, but we should there should be an intervention.
1: Well, I mean, you would have assumed that after the whole the tax bill oh. that's gone through, there's no other major pieces of legislation that need to get pushed through at the moment, he would take a little bit of a break. Right. Relax. And it just, you wanted to think that a new year would, change something yeah. and it was you didn't even get twelve hours. Right, right. And right. it was just <laughs> batshit. I mean if if Barack
2: Obama, George W. Bush, anybody tweeted one of these tweets out, it would be a story for weeks. And he does so many of them that we lose perspective on all of it. It just struck me as I was kind of hoping 20... We talked last week about whether 2018 would be better or quieter. It's not. It's going to be worse. (laughs) (laughs) We were wrong. Six days and I'm convinced it's going to be worse.
0: (laughs) I'm really hoping he actually on Monday comes out and does some sort of bizarre award show for worst news media. Please, God, let that happen. That would be so fantastic. uh,
1: And would he he do it via Twitter? Would he actually bring people into the. Does he have a list? I don't know. If he actually does it, we're doing a live stream. Oh, it's.
0: (laughs) um, You know. Kelly, since he's taken over as chief of staff, has really cracked down on a lot of the insanity with the people around Trump. Right. But this he is not like, why do you is it just that he has no control? Like it's that he answers to Trump. And so Trump can't. But surely that wouldn't stop him. Right. He's going to try to. Do you think he has ongoing, repeated conversations about how you can't do this and Trump just does it anyway? Yes.
2: (laughs) And I think he's maybe he's a give it up at this point because Trump. The other thing is Trump is a bully. So it doesn't matter if this is. I mean, he respects Kelly, but he's not going to listen to Kelly. He's a general, <laughs> right, but the general doesn't. He's Trump's the president, Nick. It's <laughs> so. just weird. Oh, oh so God. I don't know. We'll we'll see. But this was this was a disturbing week for Twitter. Um, it, it's entirely possible at some point Twitter will say enough. We're taking your we're taking your account away.
0: No way! I, no, no way! It's not. No, I was thinking about they can't. They, but they can't did do for it. Sheriff
2: Clark. This this nut up in Milwaukee. Oh, they put it read only. Yeah, he could read only yeah. until.
0: <laughs> so maybe. But one one. I think it's hard to do that to the president. But two, I think that Donald Trump has been the greatest thing to happen to to Twitter oh, yes. in terms yes. of like We're getting, right getting new yeah. fo- new people mm-hmm. onto Twitter and following stuff in in years. There's no way they should take it No, you down. they won't.
2: There, there are some really interesting legal questions about Trump blocking people. So can the president of the United States block people from seeing his own account? I mean, as a public official, is he not required
1: to be open to everybody? So I don't know. That's, that's an excuse. He's but you're not right. open to everybody. He has enemies and haters. <laughs> that's right. But he still wishes him a happy 2018. Oh, He's very magnanimous. Yes.
2: Well, this was fun, boys. Um, as usual, right. I'll do the shameless plugs, Nick. Thank um, you. Yeah, if you are interested, if you like the podcast, please like us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, most importantly, share us with your friends. You know, we, uh, we're we trying to grow the podcast, and we've been pretty successful recently about that, with that. And so uh, continue to spread the message. Phil is dancing. <laughs> so, uh, and if you like the beers, find us on Untapped. And uh, I think the email is officially kaput. You know, it is just, it kaput? It's still there, but, you know. I don't check it anymore, and send your
0: questions to Twitter on our send, Twitter Yeah, yeah. Twitter's yes. Twitter's
2: great. So, that's, that's um, awesome. and next week, hopefully, Phil's back will be better. Nick will be less sick. And, oh, I'll be I'll yeah, be raring. To and, go. and Trump will still be raring. That guy doesn't <laughs> get sick. So, uh, thanks a lot, guys. See ya. Cheers. Cheers.